Okay, welcome to another episode of Talking Metaverse. I'm here now with Julian Gorman from GSMA. Welcome to the podcast, Julian. Thank you for inviting me. Where are you right now? Um, I'm in Bali. So oh. A center of metaverse action, you could say, in some departments. <laughs> okay. I, I'm not, I wasn't aware. Why would you say, why, why is it known as that? So it's, it's become a hub for attracting digital nomads and uh, let, let's say drawn a, a material sort of crypto community. Um, and let's say people who are at the front edge of, of digital activity um, on an individual, less big corporates, but, you know, lots, lots of smaller individuals and stuff who'd like to be in this space. And actually, Bali has been the host of various crypto and metaverse events before the well not metaverse so much but before the before the virus had crypto events here and more recently i have seen some small uh, crypto and metaverse uh, gatherings and get togethers to to talk about where it's going and i mean i noticed down the road the other day there's a there's a a um a, let's say restaurant called uh, warung warung crypto now so wow Okay, I wasn't aware of that. So what an appropriate place to be uh, speaking from. <laughs> Do you think it's possible to describe, define the metaverse in one sentence? Uh, well, so the simple answer is not yet, <laughs> I don't think. There's a, I think there's a, a pretty... A big diversity uh, of thoughts and interests um, on what the metaverse is. I think at best you can uh, say it's, you know, it involves the sort of the coming together of a number of technologies, including Web3, crypto, um, you know, AR, VR. I mean, every, everything from how it's developed to how you consume it, uh, how you participate in it, you know, still yet to sort of crystallize to a singular picture. I think, to be honest, um, over time, it will be a little like, you know, Web 2 is actually there's lots of things in that universe. And depending on your use case or your interests, it takes a different uh, picture. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you guys, meaning GSMA, just organized an event in Singapore. Is that correct? The Mobile 360? Oh. The APAC M360, which is an annual event. Um, it's a GSMA, you know, we represent Global Trade Association representing more than 700 mobile operators from around the world um, and more than 400 uh, ventures from the digital ecosystem, like you know, Google and uh, network vendors, things like that, Huawei, Ericsson. Metaverse was a topic that came up numerous times. Um, and what we're looking at, startups and also the network of the future. And so I think... Um, it uh, you know, highlighted that across the telco industry and adjacent digital ecosystem, there is an interest um, and momentum towards moment, to, to the metaverse and the issues it raises, yes. Okay. And what role do you think telcos in general will play in this area? Well, I think uh, that's still to be defined. I mean, there is a lot of, I think, opportunity and potential for telcos um, in the space. I mean, at the simple end, obviously, metaverse at some point in the consumption, it requires some sort of connectivity. Um, and obviously, there, a lot of, there's a lot of talk about is 5G, you know, that connectivity, um, and a lot of debate, you know, of uh, you know, AR and VR and how you would consume it um, when you're mobile or whether you're at home or in the office or an industrial place versus, uh, you know, personal family 
Um, so telcos ha have a you know basic interest in that level. But I mean, telcos since the start have been um, verifying identity um, online and facilitating or hosting payments, um, things like that. So actually the, the opportunity for telcos to participate in the ecosystem as an enabler obviously is significant, but also, you know, telcos are, um, you know, big, big retail organizations, um, you know, they sell their services to retail and enterprise. So at some point there's also operators as a presence in the metaverse, depending on shape that takes, I suppose. Mm. Okay. And the one thing about the telco industry, uh, I'm sure you'll agree, it's closely regulated. Um, does that help with the, I mean, do you think the metaverse will, will be regulated a lot in the future and who's going to do it? I think, uh, I think that, that's one of the great debates at the moment. So you have some people who have suggested, you know, regulation would help because then it provides some comfort and, so, and sort of safety um, or perceptions of safety. Um, mobile operators do exist um, in very you know, nationally regulated uh, frameworks, um, which evolve over time. And, you know, as we enter the 5G era, we see a lot of countries updating or modernizing their uh, regulatory framework, everything from spectrum to the other things. Um, obviously, in the metaverse concept, you know, the borders of a country, and actually the theme about APAC M360 was about building future digital nations because in, the, in a digital nation, um, you know, there's questions about if you don't have a line in the sand, like where is the border of a country? Um, if trust doesn't come from a centralised institution but comes from, say, blockchain or something rather, how does that is managed? So we act actively sought out to, to raise the debate and discussion around these issues about the future digital nations and you know, even this, the chief executive from IMDA in his uh, opening keynote made comments about, you know, in the future, you know, countries are not bound by geographic size or demographics um, in a digital world. And I think that opens up the discussion about who will and how will uh, the metaverse be regulated. Um, until that happens, obviously, you know, things can, without regulation, you know, certain parts of the industry and the population will be hesitant about participating um, for concern of, you know, unregulated space. And, of course, telcos are very concerned about their customers and, you know, their safety online and, and things like that. And so, you know, while the media has, you know, stories of, you know, things that maybe not, you know, not we wouldn't like to happen in the crypto world or the metaverse world or something, it does create some hesitancy about uh, participation. But, you know, we find it encouraging that, you know, especially operators like Globe in the Philippines, uh, the operators in Korea have already made announcements about pursuing, um, you know, growth and investments in the space or exploring. Um, MTN in Africa and other, Telefonica has done a, a partnership with uh, Meta to, have, you know, to explore the um, Metaverse universe. So I think, you can see telcos are already taking steps, um, maybe not all telcos, but there is active interest from the telco industry. I'd like to ask you about monetizing. How, how could telcos monetize the metaverse, say in local markets? Have you thought a lot about that? Obviously you have. I have a blow in mind. I think, I think there's still a lot of thinking to be done. Um, I mean, at the basic end, there's kind of obviously connectivity. 
um, metaverse or consumption of the metaverse, let's say, and whatever that is, <laughs> um, happens over some sort of connection between the, the user and, and you know, the service provider, let's say. Um, so obviously there's an opportunity there. As I said before, operators also have been in the business of identifying uh, you know, with customers, of verifying their identity um, online uh, to, to consume other operator or third-party services. They've been involved in development of payments um, or hosting payments or partnering with payments, things like that. So on the basis that um, actually Metaverse or Web3 is is an iteration of Web2 where, you know, beyond connectivity, you know, things like payments were worked out, um, the provision of services and everything else happened, and telcos, you know, have partnered with organisations or provided them services themselves. I think there is a, a, you know, a universe of potential, um, but, you know, there's no, there's no recipe or prescription written yet on, on how they're going to do that. Okay. And... Can you name a couple of uh, like who comes to mind like in terms of the most advanced telcos, uh, in terms of metaverse adoption, in APAC? So, sure. In, so in our region, um, you'd have to probably point to as a nation or as a country to Korea, South Korea, oh. and that's because the government and the operators there have all jointly made statements about um, you know investments in going the metaverse economy. I think the Korean government has specifically made comments about investing in metaverse uh, innovation and also growing that economy. Uh, GSMA, we entered into a MOU with um, the Ministry of uh, ICT in, in Korea in, at our Mobile World Congress in February um, to work together on championing innovations and developments in the metaverse uh, space. So working together. But also, you know, we already see um, from the operators, you know, their announcements to launch metaverse platforms um, and work together with government institutions and otherwise to provide services. Um, and, you know, so I would say a singular country, that one stands out. Obviously, there's also similar developments happening in Japan. Outside of that space, you know, Globe and the Philippines made an announcement uh, early June uh, about intentions to invest and explore the space. We actually held a webinar in July, uh, early July, where one of the open, uh, items we uh, explored was the role of the operators in the metaverse. You know, and one of our guest speakers was MTN, who's made a number of investments in property in the in various metaverse universes, um, and and is looking at using those as a way to explore presence and and what the opportunities are. So, I think there's a, <coughs> if you said who's the leader, you know, Korea sort of stands out. Um, but there's broad interest in watching and, and you know, starting to explore. So you mentioned uh, Korea, Philippines, Japan. What mm. about the West? How is, is, it, is it Asia in general leading the way? I think, uh, I mean, I think it's a, it's a shift we've seen, you know, over you know, the, the last few years is a Asia is, uh, is definitely a strong hub of innovation in the mobile space. You know, if you look at the 5G numbers, you know, we across across Asia Pacific by 2025, we're expecting about 14% of the populate of the users are, are on 5G. But actually that conceals that in the pioneer countries like Korea and Japan and Australia, we're expecting like 60 to 70% of the users um, on 5G. And even in big markets like the Philippines, where you might say, okay, as an overall population, 
um, it's a low percentage of penetration, you are seeing tense hubs, um, you know, where, where the scale of the country means those intense hubs are still as big as some countries uh, when it comes to it. So I think... And how do those numbers compare to the West? So, so globally, we expect that by 2025, about 25% of the world's uh, population or users' population is using 5G. And I said across Asia Pacific in the same time, we expect 15%. But in those pioneer countries, Korea, Japan, Australia, you know, they, they are at the same as leading edge of like US um, and you know, China um, out there as well in by 2025 and much higher numbers i mean the scale of 5g penetration comes from say the us and china but the number of countries um, of high penetration you know certainly uh, asia pacific has a number of hotspots which also that the nature of the collaboration and, and commitment of the governments to the growth of the digital economy um, as a way of accelerating the economy generally and bringing people into the formal economy um, means that you see actually a strong interest. The other thing I would say is years ago, um, you know, Asia was you know, considered a mobile first uh, region. And in those times often um, in the West, mobile first was considered as you know, maybe you know, not as good as learning the internet on a laptop or a desktop. And actually, in Western countries, you saw people reluctant to do purchasing or things like that on the mobile. They would prefer to, they might browse on the phone, but then they would go home with their laptop to buy. Um, in mobile-first economies across Asia, you don't have that reluctance. And so actually, the speed of adoption, the willingness to adopt, means actually, I think now you see Asia has somewhat of a competitive advantage for innovation, because you have this willingness to adopt fast-growing economies, much faster than Western countries. Um, and people willing to try new things. And so that, I think, creates an asset as you move further into the digital world. Would you say that because some of the developing countries in Southeast Asia, especially, they skipped the laptop altogether, you know, like they went... Definitely, I think... Um, straight to mobile. So this is the first experience with internet. I think definitely. Um, and that's why I think this mobile-first economies actually should be considered as an asset. I mean, uh, payments, a lot of payments, uh, mobile payments, innovations and adoption have been driven out of places like Southeast Asia. You know, in Africa, there's, there's some as well. But I think advanced uh, and accelerated adoption through the virus to, uh, you know, period, I think, gave uh, Southeast Asia especially uh, an advantage moving forward. I mean, you see the forecast um, from, say, the Tomasek, uh, Bain, Google report every year about the digital economy of Southeast Asia. And, I mean, it keeps growing faster. And while the region encapsulates something like 600 million people um, across a number of countries, um, and it does have, obviously, things like cross-border data issues to deal with different levels of identity, um, the, you, know, you still have the scale of, say, Indonesia as like a big heavyweight digital economy, which has attracted a lot of investment and interest. Um, you've got the stability and advanced market of, say, Singapore, and then you've got lots of things in between, like Thailand and, and the Philippines. And so the diversity, but um, let's say regional connection, I think provides um, you know, a real asset as we move forward. Cool. Um, crypto, one of the keywords you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, uh, would you say 
would you say would you say it's one of the key elements that need to be uh, working in order for us to be able to call it the metaverse? Do we need do we need to be able to have crypto working? Um, <laughs> I, th- I think that debate is open. I don't think uh, I don't think crypto is an essential ingredient. Obviously, the idea of um, you know digital currency and, and uh, being able to use across borders and things like that has you know some benefits. How that actually plays out, I think there's still some way to play. Um, I think uh, you know I've seen you know some interesting developments. You know, like in the play to earn games. So there's companies like XLD. Um, and Metaverse Go in the Philippines uh, who have, you know, worked together to, to give play-to-earn gamers a way to off-ramp their crypto earnings into, you know, daily expense like electricity or airtime. You've got Metaverse Go, which is helping attract people into play-to-earn uh, universe by making it simpler to get on board. I think, you know, we see, and they're, and they're both working with operators um, and so I think there are examples of where the crypto world is now starting to come closer to the, to the mobile industry. But even, even, you know, if you go down to the lower level, you know, crypto built on blockchain and blockchain technology, I think blockchain technology itself um, will play a very big role um, in the metaverse and even outside of the metaverse. So, you know, within mobile operators, you know, there's a number of projects ongoing exploring how blockchain can be used in various things like roaming settlement um, and other things. So I think blockchain technology is here to stay yep. um, and is, is a key building block for the metaverse. Crypto, you know, I think has a role, but I wouldn't say it's critical to starting things. Okay. So you would say blockchain. What else would you say is an essential ingredient um, I think there's, we were talking about trust before, I think there'll be a greater push for identity um, or verified identity somehow to identify. I mean, to, as, as more people participate, um, how that looks and feels and how we solve that problem will be, I think, a, a much bigger issue. And, you know, certainly as regulators take more interest in the space, um, you know, it will need to be, I think identity as, as a base building block for trust um, will become a, a big issue. I think it's ironic that some of the things that we're thinking about now, like trust, uh, I don't think the internet, the original internet pioneers really thought about that, did they, when they were building the original yeah, and, I, and I think one of the greatest challenges of uh, you know, the first iterations of the internet was solving that. So to get to payments, how did you solve Trust, um, and you know, I think uh, you know we've seen lots of of work and activity in that space. And you know, on the scheme of things, there's everything through the government verified identity. So if you look at in India, you have Aadhaar, you know, with a global data, uh, you know, national database where something like 95% of the population is verified against uh, digital identity. Um, you know, to simple, you know, login with Google or Facebook, which could be you know anybody. Um, but it still solves an identity issue for, for some things. Um, so I think they, they have largely solved or addressed a lot of the trust or identity problems in Web 2.0, and there will just be more to come in Web 3. <laughs> so do you think we need, we still need a Google or a Facebook in Web 3 to be able well, to verify? 
So I think it's not whether we need, it's whether what the market desires um, and finds usefulness and, and, and functional and practical. So I think uh, the one thing that we're, you know, the early versions we've also proved is, you know, that the market has, a, has a, a, an ability to decide and, um, you know, what is successful and what is not. That's not to say that there's not work to be done inside a regulatory framework, but, um, you know, the one thing about the digital world is, is the potential, the opportunity, and especially as we move into 5G, you know, we've got big data, IoT, AR, VR. There's lots of opportunities to transform our physical economies and also, you know, how we um, interact uh, and, you know, move our physical world into the digital economy, but also introduce complete new um, economic drivers, um, opportunities. So I think, uh, as I say, I think there's still some way to go. And as we move into the, you know, web era, web 3.0, metaverse, 5G, the potential for innovation um, is probably hard to define now. You know, like how are we going to interact in a metaverse world or in the future web 3 It's probably still not, you know, a smartphone is going to play a role, but it's probably not the end game. Mm. Now, for majority of the public, I think Facebook changing its name to Meta was the point when they started became aware of this. I wanted to ask you, as somebody who's been in this for years, was there a turning point for you or was it a gradual growth in excitement? Was there a point when you started, oh, now I'm excited about this. Like, what is this? Was there a, that point? Um, so for me, uh, pers personally, about two years ago, uh, you know, when I started to really think, what's this mean for, because um, when we talk about digital disruption, you know, like the transformation of things, you know, we've, we've all stopped sending letters. We all now do email or actually a lot of us now just do chat, you know, like messaging or something. And so our idea of how we communicate to each other, and even, you know, if you simply, how do you send birthday cards or wedding invites or something, you know, when I was younger, that was something you'd put in the mail and everything else. Now it happens all online. And the world has considered that as natural. I mean, I got a wedding invite in the mail the other day. To be honest, I didn't know the mailman knew where I lived. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, things have changed. And, you know, it was for me thinking of what comes after digital society is like if we project out 30 or 40 years, what does the world look like? Because if you go back 30 or 40 years and you think, well, what did it look like 30 or 40 years ago? And you consider that technology and transformation is accelerating in 30, 40 years that the amount that's changed in the last 30, 40 years, you think in the next 30 or 40 years, it's probably two, three, four or five times that amount of change. And when I was at school, you, know, you, you didn't really contemplate that the world would materially change. Like it was rather steady state during your lifetime. You know, everyone always complains about their parents, you know, not being up-to-date technology. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are in history, everyone's always complained about their parents. But now your older cousin is out of date. <laughs> Forget your parents. That's right. Now, now, like you can be out of date in 10 years. It's not about your parents. It's like your older brother and sister might be out of date. Um, so that, that steady state idea, I think, is getting disrupted. And so the idea of, you know, what for me, what is a digital nation in 20 or 30 years' time? When my, you know, when my son is my age or something rather, you know, what is the world going to look like? Made me think, who is who is thinking about these topics? Because most people are thinking about next week, next month, buying their house, and they're thinking about a relatively steady state. Mm. 
let me just see if I can fix this light a little bit more. <laughs> Super sunny today. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is great point. Um, so yeah, we've talked a lot about the gains. I think we've talked about the gains, the positives, yeah. being able to connect. Yeah. And now I'd like, what about what the naysayers? What do you think we will lose when we only communicate online? Like you said, you just received a wedding invitation. I bet you were actually joyed when you saw that physical card. Do you yeah. think that's something that we would lose? I think, um, I mean, I mentioned at the start that our APEC and 360, how it was great to get back together in person yes. and see people and get, get, I mean, you know, often people talk about how much communication is nonverbal, you know, and, and now we have Zoom calls and whatever else, but there's still a lot of cues that you don't get online. And also you, you have video calls and things online for a purpose. You don't just have that random connection, random interaction where, you might be talking about something and a great idea comes to your mind. Um, so I think for me, um, you know, I think, you know, you lose things online and metaverse, you know, where maybe you have an interactive 3D environment or, or whatever it becomes, you know, you, you can imagine, oh, well, you know, that takes maybe some steps towards that. But, um, you know, I also think that, you know, when I asked my son or I talked to my son about, you know, fixed wire phones or something from, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, and he has no understanding of what that is, that actually further generations who don't have the history um, may not understand the difference. So they won't and miss it. They won't miss what so, they don't know. Yeah. And so that's right. And so where do you get to if uh, you don't have that reference point? So for me, you know, there's no way a physical environment, an online environment can duplicate a physical one completely. By the same token, an online environment can add functionality to, you know, the ability to connect and interact with somebody on the other side of the planet, which you can't do, um, you know, in a, in a physical world, obviously. You know, it takes a bit longer to fly overseas and stuff. So I think uh, there is things you lose, but, you know, will that sustain? Will, will Will consciousness of that loss sustain as generations become more digital? You know, I think that's a debate to have. <laughs> and also, you said there's no way the online world can duplicate. Now, would you really say there's no way? What if we stretch out to longer periods of time? We can't say no way, right? Well, so, yeah, so I say no way, whatever. Um, so I say no way with my mind. <laughs> <laughs> In what I believe is a physical world, like can I strap on a haptic suit or something or other and, and, and have a pure, you know, feel, you know, I would say there's always going to be a percentage. But by the same time, as I say, there's, there's things you gain in an online environment which maybe take the opportunity measure a different way or the value a different direction. Um, but, uh, yes, I, it's probably inappropriate for me to suggest in no way as in never because future generations, as I say, I think will evolve. And that's where, it, for me, again, it comes down to digital nations. Like, what is a future digital nation? Like, how do we define ourselves? And, yeah, if we go even beyond that, we don't, what if we jump past the haptic suits? Because that's all, the signal from here is going to my brain. So what if, what if it just goes directly to the brain? Yeah. What if we manipulate... I suppose Hollywood has done a fair job at trying to explore some of these things. And um, <laughs> I, I personally believe also, yes, that 
the potential for that to happen is like even you know um even you know i i consider my own eyes whatever so my own brain can be manipulated even in the physical world to, to see things or to not see things and experience things not see experience i mean i've strapped on a vr headset and you know played a few games and i fall over because you lose balance and everything else um so obviously <laughs> there we in a physical world we take in certain inputs and that's how we react and they could be mimicked or changed or influenced and so i mean i i would love to see where we go in the next you know in the future be able to see um you know, I hope there's always somebody looking after, making sure you know we're including including everybody and you know managing safety and security. Um, what, but even those concepts might change over time. I agree, but in general, I'm super optimistic about it. Even though there's drawbacks, yes, would no, you agree? I, yes, generally, I think the opportunity, uh, the potential, the improvements you know that to people's lives that you can see you know i would have to lean towards positive yeah you know, that, that doesn't mean there's things to resolve but i think the commitment of those early pioneers to solving those issues to actually take advantage of the growth and the potential is always encouraging and throughout time pioneers have always you know been part of that process i think um you know i certainly am encouraged by the potential Great. Julian, thank you so much for taking the time. I could continue talking about this all day, but I'll let you go enjoy the beach. No worries. Thank you very much.